Hey everyone, welcome back for season three of the Age Sister podcast. This season, we're going to keep exploring the issues around midlife and older women at work. So let's get started with today's guest. Today, I've got a very special guest joining me on this first episode of our third season. I'm joined by Elizabeth Bachman. Elizabeth is a sought-after speaker and strategist in Silicon Valley, nationally and internationally, and she works with leaders who need to become concise and compelling presenters. So we talked all about leveraging your presenting skills at work, tips for creating better visibility as a woman in midlife and beyond, communication skills as a way to break through that glass ceiling. And we even talked about working with famous opera singers. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you, Kate. I'm really delighted to be here. It's great to have you. Um, So I just want to get started, as I always do, by asking you how you got to do the work that you're doing today. How did you get here? What was your journey? Well, um, right now I am a presentation skills trainer and executive coach, which is career number five, four or five, something like that. You know, as with many people, I've had many zigs and zags. Uh, I like to think it's been about communication all the time. So uh, since I first walked on stage at the age of five and my afterwards, I heard my mom tell her friends that... I was the best goddamn bunny rabbit ever to grace the stage of the hillside school. And I was hooked. Now, uh, I don't I don't know if she actually said it quite with that intonation. That's maybe my years of many years of acting afterwards. I was an actor and then I became a director. Turns out uh, I'm a better director than I'm an actor because I'm an oldest child and my younger sisters uh, in college, when I said I switched my major, my younger sisters said, well, duh, you boss everyone around anyway. You might as well give up and get paid for it. So uh, I've been a leader, uh, directing uh, theater directing, then switched very fast into directing opera singers and did that for 30 years, as well as all the other things that you do um, if you're not actually the director, then you're the assistant. I've I've done pretty much everything in theater, uh, except scenic design because I can't draw. But um, I've done all of that, worked my way up to directing internationally and then running an international opera company um, in Austria with Austrian and our German-speaking and English-speaking students, which taught me a whole lot about being a boss. And I had to learn how to be a better speaker for that because it was a nonprofit organization. And in order to launch it, I had to raise $100,000 to just get it started and mostly in $100 increments. And that was all through speaking. Uh, And frankly, when I started, I was terrified. Um, and I was terrible. I was pretty bad when I started. I'd been speaking for years. I've been speaking many, many years. But for the first time, I was speaking on behalf of my project, my dream, and asking people to write a check for my idea. 
And uh, that changed everything. And I learned a lot. And what actually saved me was one of my fundraisers. I had uh, a woman who was a speaker trainer who liked opera, came to one of my fundraising parties and called me up the next day. And she said, you know, there are some things you could do to get better results. Um, she had watched everybody be delighted with what I had to say. And then when I asked for the money, walk out with their credit cards still in their pockets. Uh, and it turns out there's an art called public speaking. There are tools. You don't have to be born a brilliant fundraiser. You you learn it. You, you It's all a learned skill. It's speaking to get people to open their wallets. Uh, and so I, I hired her. Uh, I didn't know where I was going to find the money, and and by this I wasn't a kid, you know. By this I was thinking back. Uh, I was about to turn fifty when I started the opera company, so uh, you know I I was pretty experienced. But that was the first time I'd had to ask money for myself, and I made all the mistakes. It's one of the reasons why I help people speak to present themselves now is because I have made all the mistakes myself. I know that one. Uh, anyway, we raised the $100,000 and the company ran for 11 years and we changed people's lives. The, my, the people who worked with me are still in touch. The reason I switched to speaker training and presentation skills training was uh, that was also something I was doing on the side that the summer opera company I knew was never going to pay the mortgage. So I had to do other things. So I was already training speakers. And when I, when I got to a certain point, I realized that after 30 years in opera, especially with young singers, I, I was in real danger of losing the ability to be moved by the music. I basically I burned out and thought, okay, I will I'll work with speakers. And that's wonderful because with the speakers, each client teaches me more. And then I realized that you could use presentation skills to work within an organization as well as speaking in public. And so that's the main thing I do now is I help people use a combination of presentation skills, business techniques to raise their visibility within their organization and then speak within their industry, which also raises their visibility so that you become someone to follow, someone to promote or, or someone to hire. Mm. That's just an amazing story of how you got here. I'm really interested in this idea of, you know, moving towards public speaking and helping people with their presentation skills. Why is this such an Achilles heel for so many of us? Achilles heel, it's because um, you're just you. Mm. You know, the nice thing about being a performer was I could put on a costume and hide behind being somebody else. When I had to ask for money for me, it was just me. And that was really scary. One of the things that happens a lot 
is that, especially for women, we tend to not volunteer to speak. That's a big one. When we do speak, the gremlins come up. Those come up for men and women is, oh, they're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to, I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to forget what I'm supposed to say. All of that, which is normal. And, you know, it's all the voices in our head. The way I learned to get out of that and to stop those voices is to do what I call rule number one, know your audience, make it about them. There's a a technique, my signature technique is called strategic empathy. Empathize with them, make it about them, make it about the listeners and what are they looking for. Because if the voices in your head are all saying, they're going to think this, they're going to think that, you actually can't know what they're going to think because you're not in their head. It's all voice, it's all self-generated. So if you can get out of your head and think about them, extend your consciousness, if you will, to them, then it becomes a service. I actually like to think of it as it's like having a dinner party. If you think about, say, dinner at your house, if you cook or you've ordered in, but, you know, you've you've organized it around what your guests want. You make it about your guests, how you want to please your guests. And then if you have a call to action, whether the call to action is authorize the budget for my department or the call to action is hey, team, let's get organized. Or if it is invest in my services, for instance, all of that, that's dessert. Because you're not going to have a call to action selling something you don't believe in. And, and it is a sales process. It's, a, it's an internal sales process, just like convincing your kid to eat their vegetables. That's sales. Then if you're offering them dessert, something delicious that's going to make them happy, because if they do what you want, they will be better, then then I, th- I like to picture myself walking out of the kitchen into the dining room with a fabulous cake that I've baked. And here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to invest in. Invest in your improvement through hiring me. So it's not, makes it about them, not me. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think this is something, as you know, uh, the Age Sister podcast listeners are predominantly women. And Mm -hmm. I think this is something that women maybe struggle with. And I'm just saying this anecdotally, but that they struggle with maybe a little bit more than men. Why are you so passionate about helping women be heard? I was one of the early female opera directors. I was I was in the first wave after the ones who'd gone through and knocked down the walls. I was in the first wave that was climbing through that gap in the wall, if you will. And I was constantly having to justify myself as having something to say. 
being good enough, doing a good job, having something to say, being the boss, being the authority. And I, it was fighting my way up through a through a very male dominated field. Uh, it, you know, it's like it's like the movies. It's only been the last five or six years that you get got female directors on the Academy Awards nomination list. Before it's always it always used to be the same ten guys. The more you as a woman step forward and share your values, share your ideas, share your expertise, the easier it is for those who follow us, the easier it is for everybody to take it for granted. You know, we take it for granted that when you're seeing if in a mixed group, not just a women's group, but if you if you're in a mixed group or a conference, we take it for granted that 95% of the speakers are going to be men because that's the norm. What I'm all about is sharing the norm. And the other thing nowadays, especially in this era of, you know, what the pandemic has done to the world and uh, what the pandemic has done to our society in North America. And I also work internationally. So I see that happening. So many women stepping back, the more we have women in leadership positions in organizations, in companies, the better people will be treated. The, you know, the more, there are statistics that say, uh, when I was first starting, there were t statistics that say, said companies that had diverse voices on their board were making 19% profits. Couple of years uh, this year, I interviewed for my the hundredth episode of my podcast, Julie Castro Abrams, who's the leader of How Women Lead, and she's one of my very first people. She was the people I interviewed. She said it was nineteen percent. So I interviewed her again just now, and she said, "Oh, thirty-seven percent better profits." Wow! So just in two years, um, that. That makes a big difference. What I find is that women feel like they're not being heard. Sometimes it's because others aren't listening and there are techniques to fix that. But often it's because we're not speaking up in a way that we can be heard. So we're, we're sabotaging ourselves. So that's a huge part of the work I do is helping women get up the courage to say yes, to raise their hand. Uh, another piece is that I talk to podcast hosts and conference organizers and promoters around the world. And I'm always saying, why don't you have more women? And usually the answer is, we would love to have more women, but when I reach out to somebody, she'll say, oh, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not 150% ready. Uh, maybe mm. ask me next year. And you know how that goes, you know, mm -hmm. next year, the, the request will never come again. So you've just got to say yes. That's something that boys are trained to do and girls are not. Mm. Boys are trained in childhood to dare, try it, go for it. If you fall down, get up and try it again. 
girls are trained to be careful and be nice. Mm. You have to be perfect, all of that. So there are many, many reasons for it. Uh, you know, I, I'm a history buff, so I go back and I say, okay, all sorts of historical reasons why this is the case. But it doesn't have to be that way now. We can change that. It just takes being aware of it and, and practicing. And then the other good part is, after you've done it a couple of times, you go, oh, I can do this. Oh, okay, great. So let's do the next one. It's just, it's that, that first couple of steps or the first time you're on a new topic, that's the scary part. And unfortunately, the only way through that, out of that is through. You've just got to do the first one in order to get the second one. Yeah, I want to ask you a really specific question around that, because I'm interested in this idea of this huge loss of women in the workplace. I think it's about 700,000 women in the U.S. are still missing from the workplace um, since the beginning of the pandemic. Women are leaving in droves. C-suite women are predicted to leave in mm -hmm. very high numbers. And then I also read a piece of research recently that said that what we really need in boardrooms, in uh, mixed groups, is we need for men to be quiet because mm -hmm. women are not getting this space. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of conversation about women being talked over, about being interrupted, and this kind of microaggression around that. I'm wondering if you can speak to how, as women, we deal with that? And I know that's a tough question, but I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. It's actually one of my very favorite topics. Uh, I'll take a step back uh, mm -hmm. because we're women talking to women, so we're going to give context. Uh, men tend to not care about it, and that's something women need to know. I'm a language person. I'm a language. I'm fluent in five languages. Um, I used to speak a little Japanese as well, but I've uh, forgotten most of it. I'm, real, I'm really a word geek. And what I noticed when I was first studying Japanese back in the 1980s, I learned that there was men's language and women's language. There are words that men use and words that women use. The more I work with presentation skills, the more I say, oh, English for sure has that too. We have men's language and women's language. And it's, we use the same words and we think we're speaking the same language, but it's as if men are speaking Spanish and women are speaking Italian. If you're an Italian and you're in Spain, you could address a Spaniard, but you will know that they aren't gonna understand everything you'll say. They'll get the gist of it because the languages are very similar but they won't necessarily get the details. If only we realize that men's language and women's language is the same. What happens, one of the reasons why women sabotage themselves so much is because we're speaking women's language to men. Now, it's not just men and not just women. I like to think of it as single-focused versus multi-focused. Men, mostly, tend to be single-focused. They do one thing at a time. They get things done. And it's great because it's the single-focused people who get things done. And Western business is built around that principle. Women tend to be multi-focused. And it's the 
women, it's mostly women, but I know I've got several male clients who are multifocused. We talk about all sorts of things at once. We give context. We talk about the background, which is what I just did to you. The single focus people can't take that in. They can't, they hold one thing in their brain at a time. If you are addressing a single focus person, male or female, you have to talk about one thing. Bullet points. This is why bullet points exist. Uh, speak in bullet points. Say the key thing first. Then if you want, then you say, if you want to know the background, I can tell you. But you've got to get your point out right away at the beginning. There's a, there's a lot more about it. Um, I have a whole episode on my podcast about why men don't listen to women. Uh, because... Because of that, if they say men are too loud, well, men are just speaking men's language. And a lot of that involves interrupting, pushing, being in, you know, being in there, not waiting to be asked. If you are in a room that is dominated by men and you're the only woman, then you're going to have to speak their language in order for them to hear you. The way... We solve it with my clients and the women in my mastermind. Uh, what we do is the key is allies. If you're being <clears throat> if you're being talked over in a meeting, enroll somebody to be your ally so that you can say, "Hey, you know, Brad is always talking over me." Or every time I have an idea, John takes that same idea and claims it for himself. Have your ally say, oh, Kate, what a great idea. Could you say that one again? I don't think everybody heard. Or thank you, John. That's what Kate just said. Kate, can you elaborate on your, on your point a little bit? Most of the time, if you say it two or three times and call attention to the fact that it came from Kate and not from Brad or John, the men will pay attention. Most of the men I know, um, they're not trying to erase women. They just don't notice. They don't hear it. And I have women I know, you know a, a female friend of mine, we were all sitting around in a family situation. A female friend of mine suggested something that I had just suggested five minutes earlier. It's like this great idea. And because it was a family situation, I, I was able to say, hey, did you hear me when I said that five minutes ago? Or was that really your idea? She hadn't heard me. She'd heard it subconsciously, thought, oh, that's a good idea, thought it was her idea. Because she was in the middle of talking away, she's a single focused person, and wasn't paying attention. So I was able to call her out on that. This is something where an ally can help you. If you are running the meeting, make a point of asking the introverts, asking the quieter people. Because when only the extroverts, only the loud people talk, first of all, you miss things. You miss important information. Secondly, it breeds resentment. And the more the introverts resent being interrupted, the less they'll speak because they say, well, nobody cares. 
Nobody cares what I think, so I'm not going to say it. And then you might miss something really important. Uh, it is the multifocused people on a team who will notice things like, oh, um, like before we spend a whole lot of time and money inventing this new piece of software, uh, did you know that our clients, our, our competitors are already selling it? It's already on the market. They're two years ahead of us. Why do we have to do this? Or has anybody asked the client if they really want it? Things like that. The world is, the world is littered with tech projects, especially, that didn't work, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of time spent on something that actually the customer didn't want or was too much. It made sense to the people who were developing, but it nobody had actually asked the client, things like that. That's where, that's, that's where you need the different perspectives. Uh, also, different age groups will notice different things. Uh, having a, you know, if you're an older, older person and you're mentoring younger people, have the younger people mentor you back because they may be tuned into stuff that you don't want, that you don't know, that you don't know how to, or you should particularly be thinking about who's your public, who's your clients, who's listening, how do they listen, and then then speak to them in Spanish instead of Italian. If they're, if you want them to understand, you say it in Spanish instead of Italian. It's all such great advice, um, and I just think <laughs> of you know uh, a lot of the things that have been going on for women recently. Um, a lot of setbacks that we've had, and as I mentioned, some you know setbacks as well in the workplace. And I really wonder about this idea. I'm just switching gears on you a little. Um, I wonder about this idea mm -hmm. of the the glass ceiling and all of this. Could you talk about your experience mm -hmm. around the glass ceiling and, and what we can do about that issue that continues on? Well, this is partly why I'm, uh, I'm so passionate about this. Before I started my opera company, uh, I wanted to run an opera company. I knew I knew I thought like a producer, not just an artist. Uh, I was always thinking about how the marketing department could, you know, hey, here's a little cool thing we're doing. Have the marketing department publicize this. And my colleagues, the singers I worked with, were all saying, oh, yeah, you'd be great. Yes, absolutely. You should be running an opera company. Any company you run, I'm coming. You know, that sort of thing. So I knew I'd be good at it. What I didn't pay attention to, and this is something that happens to women all the time, is I, I thought that if I just did a good job, I would be recognized. Um, a fellow coach of mine, I think it was Sue Firth, who said, oh, yes, we call that the tiara syndrome. You're waiting, you're waiting for the handsome prince to, to ride by. And, uh, it's... I thought that if I did a good job and was recognized by my peers, I would be rewarded with the job I wanted, which is something that I see all the time with my clients. What I didn't realize then was my peers are not the people who 
who hire the general director. The general director is hired by the board of trustees. I should have been marketing myself to the board of trustees, but I didn't know that then. So, um, and here's another thing about the male-female thing. This is not so much the single focus versus multi-focus, this is actually gender-based, is women are socialized to think if there's something wrong, it's their fault. I don't know where that comes from, but you see it all the time. So I thought it was a, a failure in me. It was something I was, and finally I, I did the great resignation. I quit and I started my own company because no one would give me a company to run, so I made one. But now looking back, I can see, ah, if I had marketed myself the way I know how to do it now, I, I wouldn't have seen the promotions and the jobs go to men who weren't as qualified as I was. Um, sometimes they were, but often, you know, I was consistently on the short list to number two, number three, and I would see the job go to a man. The other part of that is the male-female bias, which is that um, when you're worried about money, and if you're on the board of trustees of an opera company, you are always worried about money. The tendency is to trust a man. This is why, why women, so many companies have women up to a certain extent. They're trusted, they do everything. But it really comes to the big money at sea level, it's the men. And that has been starting, that's been changing in the last five, 10 years. Not, but it's, we still have a long way to go. So, so now what I do, that is actually the heart of what I do is I work with really smart people who have come to a certain point through skill and ability, but to get from say senior director to VP or, um, or C-level, that's politics. That's a different kind of thinking. You have to position yourself as a strategic thinker. And that is the heart of the work that I do, is to help women become visible and valued. So I have a trademark system called Visible and Valued to help women show up and show that how valuable they are through all these, these many, many, many different ways of doing it. One of the big best ways is to present yourself as a thought leader. Present yourself as a strategic thinker. Do you have any tips around that for women um, in midlife and older? I'm, one of the things that I hear consistently, and just I just recently wrote an article about this, is this idea of I get to a certain age and I become invisible. I, mm -hmm. I don't yep. I don't see myself in those promotions. I feel like people are going to think, well, she's too old. You know, she doesn't have a runway left. Can you talk to that a little bit in that same vein? It's the same thing. It's that it, that's the glass ceiling. Some of it is self-imposed. And some of it is what's the context of your organization? You know, if you're working in a tech startup and everybody else is 30, you then have to position yourself as the strategic thinker who has the experience. 
the value of experience. And frankly, when I was 30, I didn't value people with experience. I think now, think about the things that my dad told me to do when I was 30. And I thought, oh, he's so old. What am I doing? Uh, how's, how's he going to know? And now I think, man, I wish I had done that when he first told me instead of learning it the hard way later. Position yourself as the person with experience. Position yourself as the strategic thinker. You need allies. That's important. You don't have to do it yourself. That's another thing that women in midlife, we're so used to taking care of everything and everybody that we forget we're allowed to have help. For women especially, having your, your cohort, your group, is really important. And then get out there. The playing field is there and you can change the rules once you're, once you're in charge. It's a matter of positioning yourself as someone with ideas. Mm -hmm. So uh, one more quick tip if we have time. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best ways of doing that is to be out there speaking. And the great thing about nowadays is there's so many podcasts where you can share your ideas. If you don't know, you have to speak outside your company because that's where people will see you fresh as, as the new person with experience there. You're not, oh, that's Kate. We see her every day. Mm -hmm. And then make sure that your company knows that you have done this because there's nothing like somebody from your industry saying, wow, Kate did the most awesome speech for us. Amazing. There's nothing like validation from outside to get a, to get you validation inside. People say, oh, I didn't know Kate knew all that. Mm. If you don't know what to talk about, um, first of all, come to me. That's what I do. That's what I help people do. One of the exercises you can do is think about what bothers you. And um, I am hereby giving everybody permission to complain for a while. Get together with a group, with get together with a couple of friends, open a bottle of wine, talk about the things in your industry that bother you or the things, the things around you that annoy you because, and, and write them down. Just like, what are my pet peeves? What are the things that really bug me? This is why I talk about glass ceilings, because I was really annoyed by glass ceilings. When, and then go back and look at it and say, okay, what could I say? What could I say about it <clears throat> that is reflected by my experience? What is my take on these problems? So... Uh, I talk about the things I really know. I know a lot about speaking. I know a lot about how to use spe speaking strategically to get results. That's why my company's called Strategic Speaking for Results, using speaking as a tool. It also applies to how you present yourself within the company. Think about that and start saying, what are the things, what are the things that bug me? What should we do instead? And boom, there's your speech. There's your topic. Mm. There's a lot more to it, but that's one of the best ways of doing that. I love that you just gave us all permission to complain. 
I'm going to get together yes, to do exactly. that soon. Yes. So I have to ask you just a fun question. Um, mm -hmm. I know from your bio that you worked with Pavarotti and Placido Domingo, um, who yes. I've only seen from the very back of a massive arena. So tell me, how did you end up working with um, those two amazing opera singers? Well, I, I was an international opera director for 30 years. And worked my way up through the ranks to where I was directing at the Metropolitan Opera. And that's when I directed Luciano Pavarotti. Uh, I worked with Domingo. My debut was uh, directing La Traviata. I was remounting a Zeffirelli production and Placido conducted. So uh, I worked with hundreds and hundreds of opera singers. Those are just the two names that everybody knows. Right. So if there's anybody who's listening who wants to talk about other opera singers uh, from my day, I, I haven't done it actively since the early 2000s, I'm doing other things now. But uh, if anyone wants to talk about opera singers, I'm happy to do so. Love it. And if people want to find out more about your work and possibly even work with you, where would they go to find that? The best way is to find me on LinkedIn. Mm. I do a lot on LinkedIn. Uh, and it's Elizabeth Bachman, just uh, Elizabeth with a Z, like the Queen of England, and Bachman, B-A-C-H-M-A-N. There are other Elizabeth Bachmans out there with different spellings, so, uh, but I think I'm the only one with this spelling. Find me on LinkedIn is the best. If you are curious about how your presentation skills are helping you or not, where you're strong, you can take a my free four-minute assessment, just takes about four minutes, at speakforresultsquiz.com. And that's where you can see where you're strong and where if you rate yourself at a, at a two on a scale of 10, then call me up and you could, we could talk about how to make that, to get you the results that you need. I'm always believing that you should be getting the results you need and the recognition that you deserve. Mm. The best part is it's not, you don't have to be born a brilliant communicator. It's a learned skill and anybody can learn it. Mm. Well, I'll make sure that all of that information is in our show notes. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. I just, I love speaking with you. This was great. Thank you, Kate, so much. It's uh, it's an honor to be on this show. I've been listening and, and uh, listening to your various episodes. It's really fun. Thanks for listening to the Age Sister Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review the episode on your favorite podcast app. We'll also be posting the show notes and any other important information at www.cardeahealthconsulting.com.